You are listening to the Critical Mass Radio Show, Orange County's business talk show focused on exploring topics of interest to CEOs who are leading middle market companies with your host, Richard Franzi. Hello and welcome to Orange County's longest running business talk show. I am your host, Rick Franzi. We have a very good, if not great show planned for you this afternoon. <clears throat> Why do you ask? Because Mark Barron is our guest. Mark, welcome to the program. Thank you, Rick. Really appreciate you having me on the show. Well, you know, let's get it started by you've had a great career in a variety of firms, mostly in the healthcare care field. So take us on that journey. How did you get started? What are you doing? You know, just bring us up till today and then we can talk about what you're currently doing after you kind yeah. of take us on a journey. Yeah, I appreciate that, Rick. So I think probably like a lot of your audience, I actually started my career at a startup and I had the benefit of heredity. So my father started a little startup business called Respiratory Support Products. And I actually started to work for him in part time in high school and college. Got my degree in marketing and went to work for the business full time. And he and I were uh, able to uh, build the business up and then have a successful exit. And we sold it to a British company called uh, Smith's Medical. You, you guys, I bet you your audience knows Smith's, but doesn't know Smith's. So like anytime you go to the airport and you're putting your bag through that, that uh, x-ray equipment, sure. it's primarily Smith's. Um, mm. So they, they made that equipment, but they had a pretty substantial medical division, about a billion dollars in revenue. And we were tucked into that and uh, kind of scaled the business within the platform of a, of a larger parent. Uh, the business was very much autonomous for the first 10 years or so. And then I used that as an opportunity to kind of scale my career at Smith's and went on to head up uh, sales and marketing for their largest division in the patient uh, warming space, a company called Level One, uh, and was successful in doing that. And then from Level One, went down the path of uh, general management. So I'd always done kind of... Uh, uh, sales and marketing, and I moved to a full P&L role, which is, which is always interesting, Rick, and I'm sure members of your audience have done this, where you think, uh, you think when you move from sales and marketing into general management that you could fix everything with revenue. And that's really not the case, right? You have to kind of understand fundamentally what's going on with the business, where are the holes in the business, and uh, where can you execute to to drive the business to profitability and success. And you know, I was able to do that. I really got a team, uh, put a good team in place that was aligned around making the business better. And uh, that was a fun business. We, um, we made products for warming and cooling patients. And we dove into an emerging market of therapeutic hypothermia. And I don't know, you know, Rick, if that's an area that would be familiar to you or not, but- I'm curious, what is that? Yeah, at the time, the science showed that if you, God forbid, you had a cardiac arrest, if you if you induced mild hypothermia, the neurological outcomes were substantially better. So if you uh, induced hypothermia, you know, somebody would come out of uh, the cardiac arrest uh, with no neurological damage, which mm. is a really big deal. And so we we gravitated towards that. We built uh, uh, KOL, KOLs around that opportunity, actually hosted a trade show that was international for uh, 
scientific presentation on uh, basically cooling post-cardiac arrest. Uh, and it, it was pretty dramatic for the business. And from that business, that business was called Cincinnati Sub-Zero. I came back out here and headed up sales and marketing for a local company. Am I taking too long? No, I was just, I was laughing at the name. I assume you were in Cincinnati for that. I was, yeah. Okay. Yeah, uh, I, I headed up sales and marketing for a business called Posey, where I was senior VP of sales and marketing and headed up sales, marketing and product development for that business. Uh, and that business was in the uh, patient safety market, um, made products for basically keeping uh, residents in a senior living facility or patients post-surgery safer. So uh, products like fall alarms and uh, uh, they made restraints as one product category, which was pretty interesting. Uh, and then for Posey, I got my first foray into the uh, middle market private equity owned businesses. And I became general manager of a business called Gamar Industries in upstate New York. And Gamar made, um, they made pressure ulcer management products, which is a uh, a fancy way of saying basically therapeutic mattresses or uh, support mattresses, anything from foam to high, high end, high technology surfaces. Uh, Striker was our largest customer and uh, myself and our management team executed a successful sale to Striker uh, and sold that business. Uh, and then that kind of gave me the first glimpse of the private equity experience. I actually got networked in through that company, through one of the private equity sponsors to a company called Tidy. Uh, and I was chief commercial officer there. And Tidy probably is a company that the name doesn't ring a bell with you or your audience, but I guarantee you, you and your audience have used a Tidy product in the last year. So anytime you would go in for a, uh, a physical in the doctor's office and you sit on the exam table, that barrier paper between you and the mm. exam table, about a 70% chance tidy made that. And then uh, a month later, when you, when you went in to get your teeth cleaned at your dentist office, that bib that they were hanging around your neck, about a 70% chance tidy made that as well. Mm. And so my role there from the private equity sponsors was to really uh, as chief commercial officer, build out both an organic and an inorganic strategy around the acute care market uh, because they were they were heavily indexed in both physician office and dental so they need an area to grow the business and really provide a, a growth story for the business upon the next exit uh, at tidy uh, was successful in doing that grew the business both organically and inorganically we took revenue from a little under 120 million to almost 200 million in less than five years, uh, and doubled EBITDA at that uh, in that time frame. So the sponsors were pretty happy with that outcome. Uh, and I worked for three different private equity sponsors in that one business in five years. So went through the transition of kind of learning what the hot buttons were for a new sponsor, and you know aligning the delivering results, basically aligning the results around that. Uh, that uh, theme. Uh, and then most recently, I was chief marketing officer for a company called Encompass Group down in Georgia that does healthcare textiles, uh, mid-market, a couple hundred million in revenue, does healthcare textiles, does uh, uh, staff and patient apparel, and then does um, patient, patient warming products and support services as well. So kind of brought that, that into play. 
I think I proudest at that particular juncture, I, I led a team that built out two new product categories for Encompass, and we ended up uh, generating nine patents on those two hmm. different products and bought, brought both products successfully to market. And then most recently, I've been working as a fractional uh, chief commercial officer for a company called Gales. And Gales makes the first ever PPE nurse's shoe. So they have a shoe that's antimicrobial. Uh, it's sealed. It really kind of addresses the concerns of the healthcare environment for a nurse. And before Gales, a nurse would basically be wearing trainers into the uh, you know, on the floors as they were a nurse. This is a product really designed for for the environment they work in. Uh, and then I'm also engaged in uh, marketing a business in the vascular access space. And I'm actually in the throes of shepherding a sales process for a small startup called Mighty Well that uh, makes vac vascular access products, particularly sleeves for, for protecting uh, a patient that, uh, that has a pick line. So you've been all over different aspects of the healthcare field in your career, and it sounds like you've been in a number of different physical locations as well. That would be true. Yeah, I started the career here in California, moved to the Boston area, moved to Cincinnati, Ohio, moved back to California, and then back to Boston, and then finally to Wisconsin, uh, and then uh, uh, Georgia. Yeah. So you've had a chance to see how business is done in different cities, and now you're able to be back here in Southern California, which I would assume is a benefit to be back in Southern California after some of those other Yeah, just the weather aside is, is a benefit compared to shoveling snow in Wisconsin. <laughs> so when your father started the firm and you began working for him, did you envision this as your career path or... Was it just a series of well-timed moves that happened? How did, how did that? Well, I, I had a real passion for it. I mean, my, my father was a cardiopulmonary physiologist, mm -hmm. so I got to see what he was doing. Yeah, when I was a 10-year-old, he had me in the lab spinning blood samples. And, uh, uh, you know, so I got exposure to that at a very young age. And I, I, I really respected what he did, and I respected the notion of, of making a better life for patients. And I'll, uh, without probably stealing your next question, I'll give you a little anecdote about that. So my first son uh, was a preemie. So he was born about uh, two months premature. Uh, and I remember my wife um, uh, talking to the neonatologist and the neonatologist said, um, we, um, we wanna use this new ventilator on your son, Joe. It's called a high frequency ventilator. So my dad was a cardiopulmonary physiologist, did work with neonates and preemies. Uh, and so my wife naturally called my dad and said, well, what do you think? Right. And he says, well, I developed that product. <laughs> Jeez. So the product that was being done or used on his grandson that uh, allowed his grandson the opportunity of being here today, mm -hmm. his granddad developed. Wow, that's pretty so awesome. The impact that you have in healthcare with the capability of uh, delivering, you know, life altering, family altering products is pretty remarkable. So, it, you know, it's, it's really uh, a privilege to be able to do that for a living. Yeah, that's a great story. Thank you for sharing it. I, I'm wondering in the, for the different companies at the different places that you've been, 
did you find that there was much overlap in maybe the uh, client base, the supply base? I mean, were you able, did you able, are we able to find uh, that you could take a lot of what you knew and who you knew from one position to the next? Yeah, very much so, Rick. Um, so if you looked at it, like a lot of what's going on in healthcare, uh, there's large distributors involved, right? So that the customer base was very common in terms of who would stock and distribute the product. Group purchasing organizations, which is a dynamic that that you have to deal with in healthcare, that that was a common thread, really, with all the businesses I was with. Um, so that, that's a that's a good observation. Uh, and even from a supply chain perspective, there there are you know there, there are crossover vendors that that uh, uh, service uh, you know that provide unique services that that I would use at multiple stops. It was interesting when you made the observation earlier that um, when you have got your first general manager's position, coming from a sales and marketing background, thinking that revenue cures all ills, the realization that it doesn't. And sometimes it can actually create more problems if the company isn't set up properly. Right. I too came from a sales and marketing background to, to be the president and kind of general manager for an operating division of a large manufacturing company. And I came with that bias as well. And it didn't take me long, as I'm probably sure it didn't take you to realize that the level of detail that you have to get into when you're responsible for the whole business is much more complex than when you're just driving the sales and the marketing messaging around that. Yeah, I became a, a very good friend of my controller. Mm -hmm. And I remember she and I basically, and I, I couldn't figure out what the heck was going on with the business. Uh, it had decent margins, it was losing money. Uh, and uh, she and I dissected the P&L and we, we carved it back. We found two things that were killing us. It was warranty cost and it was R&D. Mm. So, and you know, it, that's hard to hear for a startup, right? r and is like the, the lifeblood of a startup, but right. as you get into kind of a more mid-sized business, there has to be an expense that you look at kind of, you look at in the context of your overall expenses and your overall revenue. Uh, and this business was not, you know, so once I got my arms around those two facets, I was able with my controller and my team to pretty quickly turn the business around. And to, and to see the interconnections between the different disciplines within the company is more acute when you're the general manager than when you're the sales and marketing advocate. Yeah. Yeah. And sales and marketing, sometimes you're dumping your problems on those resources, right? Figure it out. When you're the general manager, you've got to figure out how to shepherd all those resources and get them to pull the oars in the same direction. Um, yeah. Cause it's great to get the revenue, but it's better to make a profit. That it is. <laughs> Profit's king, right? Yeah. EBITDA, you know, some level of positive financial performance because, you know, it's having been in organizations where you can grow the top line, but you're actually, you're making the business less valuable because you're deteriorating the bottom line. Right, exactly. And so uh, top line revenue doesn't cure all ills. Sometimes it can exaggerate a problem that's already existing in the company. I'm wondering from your perspective, what has changed in the healthcare field over time, Mark? Yeah, there, there's quite a bit that's changed. I mean, I think most recently you could kind of look at this, the influx of technology may be at a high level. And uh, 
you know, I, I think the pandemic, the pandemic caused a lot of issues, right? And, you know, we had tremendous loss of life in this country, but there were a couple of good outcomes from that. Um, you know, I think, I think as a, for instance, the embracing of telemedicine, mm. there, there is no way we, we accelerate embracing telemedicine probably by 10 or 15 years with, with the pandemic because it, it forced using that technology in, in a way it was intended to be used uh, to solve a problem. And, and even what we're doing now where we're on a, you know, a, a virtual meeting, right? We weren't doing that pre-pandemic. Uh, if you look kind of specifics, um, you look at kind of, uh, I, I'm really curious to see how, how uh, 3D printing and some mm -hmm. of the technologies that, that you know, have emerged in the last five years or so really impact um, real-time solutions for critical problems. So if you look at it, you know, I think, I think at some point the orthopedic companies will be making a Rick hip or a Mark hip and our implants will be very much geared towards us and unique. Um, you know, there's probably regulatory hurdles they need to get through to do that, but I, I think that that's very much, uh, uh, that's going to happen. Uh, so the the influx of technology has really been, I think, uh, dramatic, uh, uh, and, in, and in some cases in a very good way. It seems to me, too, that the healthcare as being a slice of GDP is so significant that, that there must be, and there continues to be interest from outside outsiders to get into that market, uh, whether it be through private equity or venture capital or whatever the sources of flow of money might be. But it, it feels to me that the healthcare industry is, a, is still an attractive area for investment and development. Yeah, I would agree with you. I mean, if you look at private equity groups, they're, they're always trying to figure out, you know, they're risk adverse too, right? So they want they want to make an investment, but they want to make an investment where you don't have as much risk. So, class three med med tech is a little uh, little risky for a private equity group, but low tech med tech isn't, and they're very very focused on that. Uh, very focused on I would call call them strategic OEMs for larger companies like a striker, as a for instance. You know, so so companies that manufacture a component of something that's used in an orthopedic uh, device is very attractive to, to private equity groups. But from an investment point of view, uh, healthcare is, is a, a really attractive space because as you've already mentioned, uh, it outpaces the GDP in terms of growth. And, and it, it seems even when there's an economic downturn that healthcare is far less impacted. Interesting. Your, your father was both a doctor and an inventor slash entrepreneur. Are yep. you still seeing those type of people in the healthcare space? You are, uh, but I think, I think that personality has changed since my father started. And I'll, I'll you know, I, I think, you know, the, the analogy I use is years ago when I went to my first uh, anesthesia trade shows, right? Every other booth was a little startup mm. that had something they were bringing to market. Well, because of less complexity from a regulatory perspective, uh, 
you know, uh, an easier means of bootstrapping your business. Uh, you could start a business in, in medical device healthcare 30, 35 years ago with, with nominal investment. Now, now the CEO of a startup has, you know, th their full-time job is raising money, mm. right? And, and so it, it goes from the creative, let me, let me spend my time on innovating this new product to I've got to raise capital immediately to, uh, to provide the, uh, the means to get the product to market. Yeah, that makes sense. Let's let's turn our focus to the future. What, what where do you see? What do you want to continue to do? What role are you wanting to play in the healthcare space? I like what I've been doing now. I mean, the ability to help startups is pretty pretty appealing to me. You know, they uh, this gray hair, I guess, gets me a little respect from some of the startups that I've kind of bruised myself and and uh, am able to give some guidance that it's material and, and adds value for them. So mm -hmm. this uh, opportunity to, to be involved with, with uh, folks that have a dream and a passion and want to make uh, patients' lives better from a early stage part, uh, part is, is pretty interesting to me and I'm enjoying that. So I, I, I intend to continue down that path. Are you going to stay in Southern California, Mark, or could someone talk you into moving again? Uh, it would take a lot to talk. <laughs> <laughs> okay. If someone would like to connect with you or learn more about you, what do you, where do you suggest they go, Mark? Yeah, uh, they could certainly go. I'll give my email if that's all right. Yeah. Please. Yeah. So my email is Mark, M-A-R-K, V as in Victor, Baron, that's B-E-R-A-N, at gmail.com. And you can also look me up on LinkedIn. Well, I've enjoyed this conversation with you. I've been looking forward to talking with you this way since we first met. So thank you for giving your time today to my audience. All right, Rick, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. You're welcome. I'd like to also thank the audience. You've been a part of Orange County's longest running business talk show. Mark's episode was episode number 1,412 in our catalog. And if you're an Orange County entrepreneur and you would like to tell your story, then reach out to me. I'm Rick, R-I-C, Franzi, F-R-A-N-Z-I. You can also visit my website, which is the same thing, rickfranzi.com. Until the next time we have a chance to be together, I hope all of your business decisions move your company in a positive direction. Mm -hmm.